some recognitions last service also, and it's always a good day when we got um, those type of things going on. And uh, the you know, in terms of the building, uh, everything proceeding apace. We, we you know we signed the closing documents, and now uh, we are well on our way to uh, spending about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars on getting our demise ready for us to be there. Now we thought it'd be more than that, so. Uh, we're actually doing really good, um, and I think I should prepare you that you should expect that the last couple of Sundays we are in here, so we're doing work over there right now, during the month of February, be moving, Lord willing, in first, first issue of March, we will be over at Artie Mize, not here, but the last couple of weeks or so anyway, this may be kind of skeletonized. Is that what I should say? Skeletonized in here. Don't be scared. Uh, it's all part of the process. And uh, so, uh, you know, we don't... We think we know what we're doing. We don't know what God's doing, though, always. And that's, that's the thing. So, so the one thing, though, that's consistent, I mean, every Sunday is like our praise team and the worship always consistent Every Sunday, so like, Brandon, you are like the Celine Dion of worship leaders. And, I, you know, I can't, I can't say Fred Hammond because I follow him on Instagram. Some of his stuff's pretty funny, but might be an illustration of why we need what I'm talking about today. And so, um, so all of that's good. I, it's the preaching that is either boom or bust. I understand that, and I grew up under preacher Parker Daly. He was consistent, always good, and uh, you know I try and be that way. Um, Zechariah, we looked at last week, says it's not by might nor by power. Apparently, it's also not by sleep either, because I didn't sleep well last two nights. <laughs> I have not. I don't know why. Building's going okay, everything, you know, so praise the Lord. So I need you to stand with me, bump elbows with your neighbors, we pray. And you pray as I preach, God will craft a word for you, but let's, let's pray that he's with us today. Father, we come before you today, Lord, I want to look at this topic, and, and Lord, you know, usually I'm preaching expositorily because that's my safe zone, uh, and that's what I'm comfortable with. But to take a topic that we need to look at today that is so important because, God, we got to build this into our lives, into the lives of our kids. And, God, I'm convinced that there's some people, listen to me right this second, that the devil is attacking them because their consistency in balance, being balanced is not predictable. If it was predictable... And those demonic spirits and spiritual warfare would back up off of them because it's predictable. They only, they only, some, some of us, they only attack us because they know that they can get through. So, God, we need this topic today. Lord, teach us from your word. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated in the Lord's presence. And, you know, I talk all the time about how the major malady of our age as Americans is being bipolar. And I understand that there's a clinical bipolar. I think if you read the literature, you'd acknowledge that most of those are because people in their past, when they were young, they took a kind of psychotropic drugs that affected them later on, and now they need antipsychotics in order to keep going. That's a very small percentage, but probably most Americans, if they go to their counselor, their 
therapist, their psychotherapist, either that person or they are going to say, you know, really, I'm bipolar. Now, bipolar is just confessing that you are imbalanced. They used to call it manic depressive, and we swing from one extreme to another extreme. And I'm not talking about the type of bipolar that will be evidenced this afternoon or last Sunday, because what man would not take off his shirt in a freezing cold atmosphere if he were sitting next to Taylor Swift. I'm just saying. That's completely understandable. But that's also not the, the, the extreme that, that I'm talking about today. I think we as Americans are afflicted with this malady. And we tend to live between two extremes of manic or depressive. This All this plays into the type of character that we want to install in ourselves and instill in our kids. Why? Because here's my thesis for today's study. Character is critical for our kids because they and we will only be saved from the value of Bible virtues, saved from the malady of our age. And I know I've listened, you know, I listen to the news and you know, currently Congress is saying that they're going to take care of you this tax season, even if you go ahead and file that they're currently considering that they're going to raise the child care credit, the dependent credit. That'll be a one-for-one dollar swap to take down your taxes. Not only that, but if, but if you don't make enough to pay taxes, they'll pay you money. And, you know, that's all right. But our government is not doing anything to tell you how to install and instill character in your kids. So this is, if we don't do it, nobody is. No one else will. This is on us. This is part of the reason why God's giving us three times more space, just 1.0 miles east of where we're at right now, where we've got a whole room for every grade of kids that we're going to be working with. So I don't know, you've probably been in a crowd and yet felt alone. And maybe you've had a friendship and yet not felt part of a fellowship. And, you know, it's terrible to be with people who are inspired and yet you feel isolated. Killer Mike says, I remember sitting hurt all alone in the church service asking God to reveal me to me a plan and a higher purpose. And let me just park there parenthetically, because if you were honest, you would admit, this year is kicked off and already life has gone wrong. It's kicked off this year and this year has kicked you. Stuff has already blown up. Already what you set out to do has been upended by life coming at you. And all I'm trying to simply suggest is that in our unbalanced, biased, and bipolar day, we will be tempted to respond one of two ways, either defensive, angry, contrary, combative, uncooperative. The other extreme is timid, cowardly, opinionless as to God, the Bible, the gospel, and even your testimony. Living often with low self-esteem that does not acknowledge your life in Christ. Lacking confidence. You are fearful of deciding, unsure of your strength, uncertain of your choices, and virtually unaware of anything that God's doing that's going on. 
The result is we are often depressed, slavishly dependent, tied to our home, always serving only our family. We have a restricted awareness, sheltered mentality for ourselves and for our kids, an unhealthy, incorrect view of ourselves, and a fatalistic philosophy of life that never strays from tradition or from what always has been done. So just to preview the kind of thing that we can help you and your children with in this church, I think you ought to make a study of Proverbs chapter 31 this week. We call it the chapter on the virtuous woman because of what it says after verse 10. But inasmuch as every believer comprises the bride of Christ, then really Proverbs 31 is the chapter on virtuous character. And I believe that every believer ought to make a study of Proverbs 30, chapter 31 this week. You ought to just sit down on your own with your Bible. And you notice that almost all King James Bibles, uh, each verse is printed in paragraph format. So each verse is like its own paragraph because that is how you need to study this chapter. You need to, you need to do a close reading of the text you need to sit down with your notebook and a pen and a concordance or uh, something online where you can connect keywords or words that you have a question about with their definition in other verses in other parts of the Bible. What is it that has caused our polarizing bipolar extremes in which we now live? I'm going to say that being bipolar and unbalanced is a result of two things. First, a failure to think biblically, lead fairly, and release unselfishly. We're going to show you how to do all three of those things today. And second, there is a strong action from this present world system to liberate everybody from God and give them freedom to pursue their own happiness. They don't even know what they want, so they don't know how to get it. But they're going to pursue it and just challenge you to change them. Turn to Acts chapter 16. You know, I think despite preaching on Sunday being boomer bust, I, I think that probably our church is still yet an oasis compared to many other churches out there. But we are all affected by these two factors, not being anchored in the mind of Christ and being swayed by the spirit of our age. And I'll admit it is risky for you to decide to think biblically because it invites ridicule, persecution. And if you follow that train of thought, then there is peer pressure and especially peer pressure pushing against our kids. So our first point for study is this. Satan is the master of extremes, but scripture is our bulwark for balance. Why? Because it gets your thinking straight so that you can control your emotions from your own unfettered free will. And yet I'll admit living balanced is tough. I mean, it is the easiest thing in the world to gravitate to the extremes but regardless what author or blog post you read or what podcast you watch or listen to, balance is a beautiful thing. It saves you mountains of grief, 
Case in point, verse 1, Acts 16. Then came Paul to Derbe and Lystra. Behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish, Jewess and believed. But his father was a Greek. Now, this certain disciple, verse 2 says, was well reported of the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So, it starts off with a mixed marriage, really a blended family, because you've got a believing mother, and yet, conjunction, junction, what's your function? See, the conjunction, but, is an adversative conjunction. So it draws down a contrast, it even expresses opposition. Here's a believing Jewish mother, but his father is simply Greek. Okay, so here's his dad, probably gravitates to that angry extreme. Here's his mom. It would have been the natural thing to just, just, just be a doormat and just be passive and just, just let that, just give up and go on. But she does not do that. And so Timothy himself, he turned out really well. So I'm asking the question, what kind of mother did Timothy have anyway? We'll look on your handout at 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is the next to last, last epistle. So Paul writes Timothy a second time. This is the first time that he writes to him near the end of his ministry. And he says in verse 3, 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Now, we call that intercession. That's another good tool to use to keep you being balanced. Because you're not dwelling on yourself. You are not focused only on you. You are looking at someone else. And believe me, Paul had plenty of things he could have dwelt on. Verse 4, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. He says also, verse 5, I thank God in my prayers when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Three times in three verses running, Paul is remembering, verse 3, remembering you. Verse 4, remembering your tears. Verse 5, remembering your faith. I mean, Paul has a great memory for someone, as he calls himself at this point, Paul the aged. But I want you to note that whenever you read about an unfeigned faith, that is simply proof that there is a phony one. There is a fake faith. And that is the greatest danger for you and for you to pass on to our kids. So every parent and grandparent here today needs to draw a circle around this passage. Here are two women who are so strong, they're able to override the current of a pagan father in a day when they shouldn't have had any say at all. And, and, and in the midst of the same tumultuous times as what we are living in right now, what was it about these two women that pulled them through without being bipolar. Well, now go, to, now go to the last, last epistle. 
Paul wrote Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and look at verse 14. It's on your handout, I think. But continue thou. That's how you handle it. I mean, you got to do it continually. It needs to be predictable about you. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Stay the course, keep the faith, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known, Paul says, not me. You didn't know me from a child. And I understand you had a mama and you had a grandmother from a child, but he says what you really knew that you needed to know was the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, not just being saved by being born again, but saving us from this bipolar age through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Stay the course, keep the faith, Because no enemy can outlast your Bible. No enemy can outlast it. As a matter of fact, they always have to quit before the Holy Spirit does. So as long as you don't quit, even the devil's got to quit before the Holy Spirit does. I mean, this this our ammo dump is found in the words which the Holy Ghost teacheth, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13. This is the M16A2 shotgun combo. I mean, it's shooting proprietary rounds made up mostly of dental plaster, but some other classified materials. These things which God hath prepared, the deep things of God, the things that are freely given to us of God, spiritual things, things of the Spirit of God, that is our arsenal. God has given us the things, verse 14, So just put your thing down. And this is Scripture's role in bringing you back to balance. So what what I want to do today is supply you with a scriptural analysis of balance. The parents have to be taught to train their children in the Word of God. So get spiritual people who can train captive parents on how to teach their kids a character quality, a Bible virtue, and live by it during the week. Now there are three overall areas regarding scripture, regarding self, and regarding the Savior. So it, me, and him. Uh, so there's several, I don't know, I'll give you all three this morning, but there are several important things to take note of right here about the role of Scripture. First, number one, Timothy learned inspired Scripture from his mother and grandmother. I mean, that's what it says. Second, what Timothy learned, he learned with certainty as absolute truth because my Bible says he was assured of it. Number three, that assurance came from the two women who were taming his emotions and training his conscience and teaching him Bible character. Number four, they did this simply using their own copy of Scripture. Number five, and it's just right here in the text, the Scripture was what they had in their language, in their day, in their home, as their holy Bible. That was Scripture. 
Number six, if you can identify in English the Bible that is Scripture, you have God's verbal visual record of what was given by audible inspiration. In other words, the prophets and apostles spake by being moved by the Holy Ghost. That was inspiration. They didn't write it down. They spoke. That was what was inspired. And then a scribe or somebody wrote it down. That's inscripturation. So number seven, those scriptures are profitable for exactly the things that are going to make you balanced as long as you will heed them. And finally, number eight, when you do heed them, you are sufficiently resourced from the sufficiency of the word of God to do everything God wants you to do in this life. So you have God breathe scripture in English in a King James Bible. Timothy was taught that what he was reading was holy scripture. Now wait, if that's true, if it's really scripture, and if your Bible is scripture, then it's able to make you wise, verse 15. It was able to make him born again as the word of truth, James 1. To regenerate him, because it's the incorruptible word of God, 1 Peter 1. To build him up as the word of his grace, Acts 20. To warn him as the word of the Lord's judgment, Psalm 19. To strengthen him as the Lord's word, Psalm 119. To comfort him as scripture, Romans 15. And to admonish him because it is what was written, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. And just like Timothy, we too have the Holy Scriptures. So here's a child whose mother's name was was Eunice. She built into her son from childhood the wisdom that is found in God's words. You know, I understand it may be obvious coming from my pulpit. But let me just say explicitly, it's our second point for study. There is no more important commitment in your life than to the words God has given you in English in a King James Bible, because that is your holy scripture. Scripture is not, it never was, it never has been. Either the original copy or the original languages. Come back tonight and we'll talk to you and tell you about that. That We no longer have the original copy. And in the case of the Greek in the New Testament, no one is alive who still speaks that language. It is dead. Scripture is the inspired speech of a prophet or apostle recorded in writing. I mean, that's what the word scripture means. So that it could be preserved until it got all the way to you. That's what that is. You need to find it and love it. Don't lose it or let it go. It will never leave you or leave you helpless or alone. Believers gave their lives for this in prior times so that you could just have it in the last times. They did not survive, but their Bible did. So you need to see it as vital as God's authoritative word and his will for your life. Because the spirit of God will answer to the true word of God in your life by bringing you accumulated power over time. And if your life would just give a consistently predictable biblical response, 
everyone, every one of the demons except the stupid one would leave you. I'm just saying. Now, if you'll look at verse 17, the 1611 of verse 17 says, you will be throughly furnished. Throughly means from the inside out, not from the outside in, because that is the problem right there. You've tried it from the outside in, and it ain't working. You fought the law, and the law won. And, uh, you know, you just go, you just, you know, rebel against that stuff, and nobody can tame you. You're like that maniac in Gadara. Uh, so, outside in ain't going to work. You've got to have inside out. You are equipped from the inside out to be furnished. Again, an inside word. Furnishings for all good works for every acceptable ministry. Because ministry is the evidence of balanced and true maturity. That is why it is the last goal in our philosophy of biblical discipleship. I mean, we gave some recognitions today. If you want to learn the Bible, we'll pair, pair you up with someone one-on-one to take you through 16 fundamental concepts of the Christian walk. Doesn't take forever. I only take about six months, six to nine months. And we're going to use those lessons to ground you in four areas. But the last one is to ground you in ministry with us. Discipleship too. Well, that's a... 32-week sit-down class, and we'll teach you how to study your Bible for yourself, as well as marriage and family stuff and all sorts of things like that. But you need this because your ministry is the proof that the Spirit of God is molding the child of God through the Word of God into the image of the Son of God. So you cannot stay balanced if you are not clear and you are not biblical about the Scriptures. Now, you may be boring, because uh, you may have that level of balance just as a nature, as your nature. But now you're not going to be biblically balanced without the scripture of truth, Daniel 10 verse 21, so that you have the certainty of the words of truth, Proverbs 22 verses 20 and 21. So second, second is your role in bringing yourself back to balance. Look down in verse 11, Acts 16, 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia. And the next day to Neapolis, which is the port city of Philippi, 175 miles from Troas where they started. And from thence, 10 miles down the road to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia. After all, it was a Roman colony, and that meant if you were a citizen there, you were a Roman citizen, you didn't have to pay taxes. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. In other words, it was normal, it was customary for the people who wanted to pray to the one true God, they would meet there and they would do it. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither that Sabbath. And a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which is way over on the other, I mean, it's not even in Macedonia where Paul's at, where Philippi's at. It's not in Europe, it's back in Asia. And she worshiped God, she heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. That, or so that, she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. 
And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye judge me to be faithful, the Lord come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So, so Paul's over here in Troas. God's not letting him turn right and go into Asia. And they're right up again with their backs against the sea. And Paul goes to bed that night and he has a dream and he sees a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, Paul, look, we're dying over here. Don't turn right. Go left. Come over here to us. He, he gets there and, 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 the, and, and, the, and the man from Macedonia is a woman again. A woman like, like Timothy's mom and Timothy's grandmother. I mean, she's a long way from home on business. She's not a Christian, but she's sincerely seeking God. So, she, so she, since she was worshiping, she's listening. So she went by the river where the Jews in that day prayed. Now, if you have a Christian Standard Bible, a New American Standard or an NIV, they say that they were looking for a spot of prayer, place of prayer, a place of prayer, like the Old Testament high places might have been, which fits the pagan idea exactly. That's what all the pagans say. You know, we want to find this place, where, you know, where spirits have been for centuries, and we're going to kind of go there, and they're going to help us commune with God, or we're going to sanctify a place because. Our priests are going to take their censers and they're going to walk around the periphery and somehow that incense is going to drive off all of the demons and that will give us a place to pray. The SV says they supposed a place of prayer was there, although nothing tells you why they would make that assumption. Oh, how quickly after the persecutions of the Roman Empire was the Roman Imperial Church able to corrupt Christianity and corrupt the manuscripts of the New Testament. And today the devil does it with modern translations. Paul's Uber driver says, hey, there's a place of spiritual action down by the riverside. And yet there's not even 10 men. So, so they have no synagogue because they don't have 10 men. But here's a place some women are getting together just, just to speak to God. So you've got a Bible that's unchangeable, but you've got a vast variety of ways to minister it. Be sensitive, be creative, be real. That was Paul. He was flexible. He was adaptable. He was incompatible, and they were endurable. And so she, Lydia did listen to the two men who showed up that day, Paul and Silas, there in Philippi. And the Lord opened her heart, and because she listened to Paul and to the word, then she opened her mind and believed on the Lord Jesus. That is how you witness. You go with the gospel so that God can unblind the minds. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 4, and the hearts. Ephesians 4, 18, of those who hear the word as you give it. You're taking your testimony, mixing it in with the terms of the gospel, now, God will not change their heart, but he will open it. Just like with the maniac of Gadara. I mean, here he is. He's got a legion of demons inside him. You know what? That ain't no thing but a chicken wing. Because he comes running all the way from the tombs right down to the shore as soon as Jesus puts his feet on it. And he bows down to Jesus. So he had a clear chance 
to use his free will to exercise faith in what he was going to hear from the Lord. So did Lydia. That's witnessing. And after she believes, she's baptized. And then her kids who were there that heard and make an adult made an adult decision to believe, they were also dunked. And so apparently she's a single parent, either by death, divorce, or abandonment. Not only do her children now follow her example, but she influences Paul. I mean, she convinces the whole STP team. The STP team, Silas, Timothy, and Paul, plus Luke at this moment, to lodge at her house in Philippi. Now, you need to understand, whenever the Bible describes churches and houses, it was not those house churches like your friends. These were churches that met in the houses of patrons because they had a facility big enough to house, house the whole congregation of believers. So the contemporary house church movement, that's foreign to the Bible. Now, it does fit in really well with political insurgencies. But all I'm trying to say, this is our third point for study, is that the balanced building of character into the life of your family is always going to result in a balanced response to ministry opportunities for the Lord. You can let go of Acts 16, go, go over to Acts 21, Acts chapter 21. This is simply a benefit of being balanced because everybody on the same team is living for the same things. So it keeps family and ministry in equilibrium. Why? Well, this is our fourth point for study. Because a balanced person sees that they are valuable, gifted, and responsible for their own growth toward maturity. So at times, they even offer to take the lead. Now that covers Scripture and self. So now look at the Savior. This is your role in staying in balanced fellowship with the Savior and with the church. Look at Acts chapter 21, verse 7. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, that's about 25 miles, and saluted the brethren. So they spoke Spanish and said, Salute. And abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, that's about 30 miles further south. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which is one of the seven, one of the seven deacons of Acts chapter 6, verse 5. And abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy, because everybody needs to be a preacher, including your kids. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle. Now, if you're reading from some other Bible translation, it probably says belt. And I want you to just go home today. I want you to take off your belt and I want you to see if you alone can hog tie yourself using your belt. Uh, that ain't happening, Captain. So it wasn't a belt. It was like the King James says, it was a waistband, which actually, if you will do what I told you, if you'll take each verse as its own paragraph, if you will look up some of these words from other places, you'll figure out that a waistband actually included his wallet Matthew chapter 10, verse 9. So it's some type of man bag and, uh, and sash that he's able to stick his wallet in. And it says he bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. 
Oh, just like the Old Testament says, thus saith the Lord God. Oh, so you mean that the Holy Spirit is actually part of the Trinity. Uh, okay, I get it now. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Girdle, not, not belt. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I'm ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus, or any place else for that matter. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. Okay, let me point out a couple of three things. Prophecy was a valid ministry. A spiritual gift to both give and confirm the new revelation that we now call the New Testament. That which is perfect has now come because that, that's what our Bible is. So 1 Corinthians 13 verses 8 to 10. But the point of this passage, and it's our fifth point for study, is that a balanced believer sees the Lord as their refuge and cushion when things do not work out right. You do not run away from God, you run to Him. You do not run away from church, you run to it. You do not run off so way off Sunday, you run on, on it. Every single week you are there. You're not running out of ministry with people, you're running in it. You do not push, manipulate, coerce, or try tricks to make what you think, maybe even know, is the right thing take place. You accept and retreat to the Lord's permissive will when God's perfect will is not being done. See, the Holy Spirit already told Paul not to go up to Jerusalem, Acts 21, verse 4. So this was a mistake on Paul's part. But when he felt in his own spirit that he could not avoid, Acts 19, verse 21. So when the believers could not persuade him otherwise, they stopped. And they retreated to the Lord and they took comfort in God's permissive will. And let me tell you, if you've got kids who are teenagers or above, and uh, you know they're still single or still living at home, this is the balance you better have in your character. Because if you do not, you make terrible mistakes in your reactions and your treatment to them. The multivalence of Scripture is proven by the multi-layered application of God's Word. So Scripture is multivalent. It has to have multiple simultaneous applications because your will and God's will can fit together in one of three ways according to Romans 12 verse 2. Now, four if you count sheer disobedience. But one of the three ways that it can fit, first, God has a perfect will, and he wanted that for Paul. Second, the fact God did not stop Paul before he got to Jerusalem shows how this was God's permissive will or the acceptable will of God. But you know, third, some things are good and even allowed that are still not perfect or accepted. And yet, and yet they're allowed and they're good. So God's not willing for any to perish. But many people disobey the gospel and they do. To love your spouse and take care of your family, that's good. But that's not going to make you accepted with God. You can serve God and be rewarded just like Paul does here. And yet he's trying to minister to Judean Jews and not those Jews in the dispersion like he was supposed to be going to. So what does God do 
when we follow his allowable will, but not his directive will. God applies Romans 8, verse 28, and you better apply it too. We, we see God do this with Paul, and you know God even balances the equation so that Paul even gets to Rome at government expense. Because at bottom line, the only person who is with you 24-7 is the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if you're a believer, he is the only one for you to ultimately be accountable to involuntarily. Paul was not willing to be voluntarily accountable, even to these prophets, but that did not make those believers give up on God. If you're committed to Scripture, if you have a correct view of yourself in Christ, then He will not let you down as long as you do not walk away. So stop giving up. You need to give up on giving up. Even when you think it's the right thing and it's not done by somebody else like Paul, because here's our sixth point for study. God can, God can always give you what he wants you to have. Even when you cannot get what you should have because of somebody else's unfettered free will interference. And that is a great character building principle to accept. And I know that right now some of you all just got to take that by faith because that is too painful a piece of information. So let me end with some practical practicalities for personal practice in your life. Number one, study the scriptures seriously. There is no more important book for you to master than your Bible. Stop listening to your fake friends. Stop reading or watching or listening to their shallow, secular, or spiritual but not scriptural suggestions. Psychotherapy will not make you balanced like consistent character over time. Okay, it just won't do it. The medications won't do it. They just mask your imbalance. It is only your relationship with the Word of God the Spirit of God, and the people of God that will make you balance. That is a three-legged stool, and you will not fall. So get set and get serious about simple English Bible exegesis, which is exactly, number two, how you guard against going to extremes, both to the militant mentality that lacks tolerance and wisdom, or to the apathetic role that lacks maturity and is full of, full of self-pity. One side says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go my way, whether anybody else likes it or not. And I don't care who I drag down with me. The other side says, look, you know, I don't know, and I don't care, and I can't even do it if I did. The balance is to say, look, I'm going to go God's way, uh, no matter who likes it or not, and no matter whether I think I can or I can't do it, I'm still going God's way. And you know what? Maybe I can't do it. Well, let me just admit, I know I can't do it. I've got to trust the Word of God to do the work. So I'm going to go God's way and trust. Number three, commit your life to changing your personality. Stop running from Christ-likeness. Stop being you and start being Jesus. That is Galatians 2 verse 20. That is taking up your cross and being a disciple. 
That is living by the faith of Jesus Christ, Galatians 2.16 and verse 20. Although none of the modern translations translate it that way. Even though the Greek, you know, I was just reading. I'm kind of a nerd anyway. I was reading the most academic, absolutely the most academic exegetical commentary you can get on the Greek text for Galatians 2 this last week. And the author, who has all his PhDs, said, well, you know, since the grammar here is difficult, we're going to say it means this. And no, the the problem is the grammar is clear, but wherever they don't understand it, they change it. And that's true for every, I mean, you check me out, that's true for every modern translation except the King James. They didn't change it because it doesn't read the same way as the King James. They changed it because they didn't understand what it means. You need to understand what it means because that is key. And we've got to do this as adults in this room. We've got to do it for the sake of our harvest kids, yours and ours. So ask God for wisdom and then read your Bible so he can give it. Face it, you know, some of your life is never going to be fully fulfilled. You need to accept that as God's permissive will because it ain't the millennium yet. And we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14, verse 22. So prioritize holiness over happiness and God's glory over your personal goals. And my prayer for you, my prayer for you as we skeletonize this place, leave here and go to our our demise, my prayer for you as we go through this year together is that balance will accrue over time. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You need a commitment to the will of God and not to your own will. And you need to make that commitment right now, today. Jesus shed his blood as payment so that you could be accepted by God as his child and given everlasting life. That is what he promises. How do you get Jesus to receive you? Simply by receiving him. So if the Lord has opened your heart today, then you need to make that decision right now. And you know that he's done it. You know that the Holy Spirit's opened your heart today as open as it has ever been in your life. So you need to just pray, just your heart to God, knowing that he hears. Just say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I'm not worth it. I can't do anything. There's no way I can work for it, merit it, try, try and make myself acceptable for it. Save me for Jesus' sake. I trust Jesus today for everlasting life. So I, so I know what that means. Put me in Christ, put the Holy Spirit in me, and make me born again. And Jesus, once I get your life, I want to start learning how to live according to your word so that your spirit will answer to your word in my life, making me more like Jesus. You know, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to come to the front as we sang or as soon as we get done, meet with one of our altar workers here at the front. 
want them to give you a copy of my book on next steps for new believers. If you get fed here and you attend here, you ought to be a member here. Come up and talk to us about that. 